Thank you, worship team, so much. We're very grateful for you and your gifts and how you prepare our hearts for the preaching of the word every Sunday. We're going to be in Jeremiah 25 this morning, verses 1 through 14, as we continue on in the book of Jeremiah. This is what it says. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah. This was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you, may prov- that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and, and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish them. I will banish from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone, the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. This is the word of God. Thank you for coming. You can be seated. As you're being seated, would you please bow with me as we ask God's help this morning. Father, I pray that you would give me grace this morning to rightly preach this word, Lord, not to add anything to it or take anything away from it. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear Give us hearts that are willing and ready to obey. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to not fall into what the people of Israel did here. Lord, it says multiple times that they did not listen. Please, Lord, help us to listen and to listen attentively with hearts ready to obey. We love you, and we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you heard, this is a a serious and, and somber um, message that we're going to be going through this morning, and it's not because I've got a, a, a bone to pick with anyone or anything like that. It just happens to be where we are for our visitors. I'm preaching through the book of Jeremiah, and this happens to be where we are in chapter 25. We're getting back to the book of Jeremiah. Remember, we left off for Christmas, and then for the first month of every year, we focus a sermon series on prayer to make sure that we're going into the year rightly. 
And now I picked right back up where we left off months ago in the book of Jeremiah. Now, I want to remind you, going through the book of Jeremiah, why I chose it is because you might remember the similarities that Jeremiah has well, really, to kind of us in our day. Why? Well, because I named the entire series for the entire book, Jeremiah Standing Against the Tide. Jeremiah had the task of proclaiming truth during a time in Israel, especially the southern portion of Israel, what we call Judah, proclaiming truth to a people that really didn't want to hear truth. They really didn't care about truth, and they'd actually vilified anyone who spoke the truth. That's why I said, what a relevant book, (laughs) right? What a relevant book to a time that feels very similar to that here in our nation now, right? So when we pick up with this, you see that these 14 verses that I read are really focused on judgment that's to come to the people of Israel because they've continued to refuse. That's why I've titled the message this morning for this particular part, God the Righteous Judge, because that's what he's showing about himself in this section. Actually, this, this starts a section of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25, all the way through 29, where he pronounces judgment on the people of Israel that's going to come. And then he also pronounces judgment on the nations around Israel. We got a hint of it here at the very end of our section. You, you heard it, right? We're going to see also that in these next couple chapters, neither the priests or the false prophets or the people really take much of a liking to what Jeremiah has to say. We're going to see them creep up again They've already crept up in this book once. We're going to see as we walk through. They still don't like what Jeremiah is saying, and they make it hard for him. So God, the righteous judge. Now, there's this characteristic of God that people know is true about him, but at the same time, they convince themselves that it's not true about him. They know that they know that it's true, yet they live day after day like it's not. And it's this characteristic that he is a judge. When things get really, really serious, they cry out to God concerning who he is based on this characteristic. But when things are going well and things are going smooth, they tell themselves that there's no need to approach God concerning this characteristic of his nature, that he's a judge. I'm concerning, I'm referring to this characteristic that he is this judge. And what did I mean when I said they know that it's true about him, yet they convince themselves that it's not? Day by day, they think, yes, I know he's a judge, but it, He's not going to judge me. I'm not really that guilty. However, when things get really, really serious, what's one of the first things that man will cry out? God, forgive me. God, help me. See, they know he's a judge. They know he's a judge because what's one of the first things they do is, Lord, forgive me. I know I've done this and this and this wrong. Please forgive me. 
but years before that, maybe months before that, even when things were smooth and the grass was green and the weather was nice and there was money in the bank account and maybe they weren't close to death or whatever peril has come upon them. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. So man has this strange thing about him. And when I say man, I mean primarily unsaved man here. Though sometimes Christians tend to when we drift, we might begin to think this way as well. But you'll quickly drift right back because God's a good father and he disciplines his children. But there's two main reasons for this way of thinking among the unsaved, I believe. The way of thinking that they don't think it's true about him, yet they sort of think it's true sometimes. There's two main reasons that I think men tend to think this way. Number one because mankind, in the foolishness of his fallen nature, he's just that, a fool. When he's unsaved, untouched by God at all, just in his fallen sinful nature, foolish. We are resistant to learn. We're resistant to obey. We're slow to listen, but we're quick to act in our pride, and we're quick to act in our arrogance, and we're quick to act in our rebellion tends to rule our heart too often. So that's the first reason man tends to act this way when it comes to God being a righteous judge is he's just lost. He's broken. We're bent with a natural, we're born rather with a natural bent towards sin, away from God. We're born that way because of the sin of Adam and Eve. It's now come upon all of us, the curse that's upon all of us because of the original sin. The second reason is because of the devil. Listen to Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Listen to this. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels thrown down with him. That's who he is. He is a deceiver. And so he's good at deceiving men, telling them, nothing bad will happen to you. Don't worry. There are people far worse than you that God's really concerned about. You're fine. And he's really good at that. I can remember thinking that way as an unsaved person. I can still remember in my mind when I was living at home with my parents I was a teenager, a rebellious, bad teenager. But I remember, I still remember where I was. I was walking to the mailbox to get the mail for them. And I remember thinking in my head, God's not going to judge me. God is a loving God. And, on the, and when I die, he's gonna, he's gonna, I'm going to be fine. I remember thinking that. I still remember thinking it. It was this one of those moments that just get stuck in your memory. You know those? It's still there with me. Just remember, it was a sunny day even. And I think back to that now, thinking, wow, how deceived I was. But I didn't know I was deceived, because that's the definition of being deceived. You don't know you're deceived. And the devil is a deceiver, and he's very good at it. And so unsaved man thinks, yes, I know there's a God, and I know he's a judge and a righteous judge. You can't bribe him or anything like that. But he's not going to judge me. I actually don't even have any need of judgment. 
Stalin and, and Hitler and Saddam Hussein and bin Laden. Those are the guys he's worried about, not me. And so what a great deception on his part to convince mankind that judgment won't come to them. So as we get into the text, what we see is that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. Remember where we are in the history of the people of Israel the kingdom has already been divided long ago into the northern kingdom and then southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was way worse than the southern kingdom, and because of that, judgment fell upon them much more quickly. They've already been carried off by the Assyrians. They're already gone as slaves, getting dispersed among all the peoples. Well, the southern kingdom, Judah, they're still here. They're wicked, too. Not quite as wicked as the northern kingdom was, so God is continuing to send them prophets to warn them. And warned them he's doing once again. That's why it says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah. This is the southern kingdom. And we see in verse 3 how long he's been doing this. Look in verse 3 of Jeremiah 25. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day the word of the Lord has come to me. 23 years. Years standing against the tide for 23 years. Christian, let me tell you, I feel it too sometimes, okay? I feel it too living here in this world, looking around at all the evil. I feel it too sometimes thinking, because I've been a Christian for about this long, 23 years. I'm not saying in any way that this is some direct correlation to Ko and Ezel. No, this is about Jeremiah. What I'm saying is, I feel it too sometimes persistently and consistently standing on the truth and really feeling sometimes discouraged more than encouraged sometimes. I feel that too. You're not alone. This is sometimes the plight of the people of God, especially when they're living in a time that's just exceptionally turned away from the truth. I feel it too. And what we see here, though, is a man who's being consistent and persistent. He's continuing to speak the word of God despite attempts on his life, like we read months ago, despite the false prophets hating him, despite the people hating him. Here he is, still singing that same song, playing that same note, ringing that same bell. And that's encouraging. God's people continuing to speak the truth, right? So he's been doing this for 23 years, and he says, the word of the Lord has come to me, look, and I have spoken. He's continuing to obey. But he tells us how he has continued to speak persistently. He's doing it persistently. He's persistent and he's consistent in his obedience. He's persistent and he's consistent in his obedience. And church, that's a good word for us. We have to be that way too sporadic doesn't really fit the Christian. If somebody just does something sporadically, it's really not a part of who they truly are. And so for us Christians, a persistent and a consistent obedience is what the Lord's after. Not just every so often. Not just people that have this, what we call, flash in the pan 
It's just, yeah, and then it's gone. And then maybe it comes around again a couple years later. Not that, not that. And if you're saying, that's me, Cohen. What you just described, that's me. I'm not persistent and I'm not consistent at all, actually. Well, I say, well, there's good news for you. The Lord helps people just like you. But you have to cry out for that help. You have to ask for it, and he'll give it, and he'll help you change. Because you're not going to change in your own strength. Let me say that again. You're not going to change in your own strength. Haven't you heard the saying, you keep doing the same thing and you get, keep getting the same results? It's the Lord. That's the missing thing here. He has continued to speak persistently. But then we get the word, but. You have not listened. You've never, verse 4, you've neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you his servants, the prophets. So he's saying, on my part, Jeremiah, I have persistently spoken to you. Then he goes to God. And he, says, he said, God's also been persistent. God has persistently sent to you others just like me. You know, when it comes to Israel's history, Jeremiah is actually one of the later prophets. He's one of the last ones. There were so many before him. Elijah, Elisha, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Nahum, Habakkuk. So many before him preaching truth. And the Lord sent them all. And what was their message? We get their message in verse 5. Do you see this? He's saying, this is what they were saying to you. Look at their message in verse 5. Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds. We need to understand that is anything that's against the word of God, everything that we think, say, or do that's contrary to the scriptures, God just, God doesn't see it as bad habits. God doesn't see it as, you know, if you'll just tweak this about yourself a little bit, no. How does he define it? It's evil. It's evil. Anything against God's truth is evil. And he doesn't want us to be that way. That's why he says, turn from your evil ways, your evil deeds. Dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old forever. This promised land, this land that was promised to Abraham, God said to Abraham, every, every spot where you place your foot, I'm going to give that to you and your descendants forever. And God did it. God's saying, I did it. I gave you this land. This land that you're dwelling upon, this land that I blessed and gave to you as a promise, you're, you're in it. You're, you're on it. You're upon it, as he says. And so he says, why? On this promised land that I gave you, that I brought you into, that I helped you establish in my name. Why would you do verse 6? Don't go after other gods. Why would you go after other gods when God got you here? God was the one who promised it to your fathers. That's why it's called the promised land. And he says, and when you do this, you provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. How could they not? He was in a covenant relationship with them. And just like all of us husbands in here who love our wives, or all of us wives in here who, who I, I put my, I said us, <laughs> all of you wives in here who love your husbands, 
you know that you're also provoked to anger should your husband or your wife go after another. That you're, see, because you're in a covenant marriage with your husband or your wife. You made covenant promises before Almighty God to be true to that one forever, right? And God says, we're in a relationship as well. You're my covenant people, and you're going after other gods. Of course he's provoked to anger, just like you would be if you're a good husband or a good wife. And you've got an unfaithful one going after another. You'd say, that makes me angry. And guess what? You'd be right to be angry about that. And God has a right to be angry as well. They're provoking him to anger. And he says, if it wouldn't have been this way, I would have done you no harm. Verse 7 starts with the word, yet. Yet. And here we have it again. You have not listened to me. He said that earlier in verse 3. But you have not listened. And then in verse 4, you've not listened. And now in verse 7 again, you've not listened. You know what that means? It means God's speaking, but they're not listening. God's being gracious in speaking to them. God's being gracious in sending them prophets to warn them, but they're not listening, they're not listening, they're not listening. Three times he says it. You've not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. You see that? This work of their own hands, he's referring to this idol worship that they're doing. You make an idol with your own hands, but you know how you can also make an idol, church? You can also make an idol with your mind. Did you know that? We can make idols with our minds as well. How do we make idols with our minds, Cohen? I don't get that. I thought idols were like gold and silver and stone and wood and such. Well, we make an idol... An idol is basically you creating a God that you're more comfortable with. You creating a God that you like the way that God looks. Gold, silver, it looks successful. You can also make a God with your mind that you're more comfortable with. And men all over the world do this. Visitors, for you that don't know, I still speak in an old-fashioned way. When I say men, I mean like mankind. I'm old-fashioned. Men all over the world do this creating a God they're more comfortable with. You don't have to look far to find it either. All through in the entertainment business, you'll find people up on stage receiving an award for such foul, horrible lyrics or foul, horrible movies that God hates. And what do they say? I'd like to thank God. Which one? Which God? Because he's not the God of the Bible. Because that God is holy. And he hates your lifestyle. Just like he used to hate my lifestyle. You know why? Because it was to my own harm. Just like these people here were doing. All sin is to your own harm. That's one reason also why God hates it. You've been made in the image of God. You've been made to worship God. You go after garbage and say, this is good for me. And God says, no. It's damning your soul. Turn away from it. And he sends you person after person and warning after warning. He's patient and patient and consistent and persistent 
So he says here, verse 8, therefore, because of all this. So anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to stop and ask what it's there for. Remember that? So therefore, because of everything that he just said, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words. Wait a second. I thought it was because we didn't listen to your words. Now you're saying not because I not obeyed your words. Which one is it? Listen or obey? Yes, it's both. That's the kind of listening he's talking about. He's not just talking about listen. Otherwise, hey, just put on the audio Bible all the time in your car as you go to sleep because he just wants you to listen. No. It's this kind of listening. It's a listening towards obedience. That's what he means. That's why he can use listening and obeying interchangeably because they mean the same thing for him. That's the kind of listening he's talking about. That's why it's not just even good enough just to come to church and hear the sermon, right? It's, did the truth actually make a change in you? Otherwise, you don't have it. You know this. It's, that's true for so many topics, so many areas of life. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words. Behold, I will send all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. What he's talking about here. He doesn't mean tribes like the tribes of Israel. He's talking about these northern kingdoms, because this has already been clear in the context of this book, in case you might not recall. These other people groups are talking about they come from the north to invade you, because that's where these other nations were. For Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. Did you hear what he just said? about Nebuchadnezzar, what he called him. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. Oh, really? Last I checked, he's not a God follower. Last I checked, he's actually beating up on the people of God. Last I checked, he's this big, ginormous bully who just does what he wants. Remember the book of Daniel? That Nebuchadnezzar who made the golden statue and said, bow down to it. Or, I'll throw you in a furnace. That one, this is the one we're talking about. Doesn't sound very much like a servant of God. Someone might compliment you and say, you're such a servant. Such a servant of the Lord. I just love that about you. I don't think that they're referring to, yeah, I just love the way how you throw people in furnaces when they don't bow down to you. So what kind of servant is this Nebuchadnezzar then? I don't get it. How is he a servant of God? Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. It says, Once again, Jeremiah announced that Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon would be God's tools for punishing Judah. And he dared to call the Babylonian king, quote, my servant. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a believer in the true God of Israel, but in his conquest, he was accomplishing God's will. God's own people wouldn't obey the Lord, when they had everything to gain, but pagan rulers like Pharaoh, Cyrus, and Nebuchadnezzar were, quote, servants of God to fulfill his purposes, the church today needs to remember that the Lord is sovereign and can use whatever tools he deems to use to accomplish his purposes on the earth, even unconverted leaders. God 
does use unconverted leaders to accomplish his purposes sometimes because sometimes his purposes are judgment. Judgment that is deserved. All judgment is deserved when it comes from God. We need to understand that. We sometimes will read the Old Testament and we say, wow, he's such a hothead. What a bad guy, this God. I don't like him. That's why Andy Stanley, I believe, very popular preacher in our nation, says we need to unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament, he said. We need to unhinge ourselves from the Old Testament. I don't think that's a good idea. I think anytime someone encourages you to not have parts of the Bible be true about you or be needed, I think, I'm no genius, but if you're encouraging me to not pay attention to certain parts of the Bible, I think that puts you in the category of what my children would call the bad guy. No, we don't need to unhinge from any part of the Bible, ever. Because this is exactly what got them and their problem, right? Here they are, worshiping idols. You know, idol worship made it into God's top ten. You shall not worship a graven image. Top ten. And that's exactly what they're doing. And he's saying, I'm going to use an unbelieving nation more powerful than you to come in and actually discipline you, punish you. And he says for how long it's going to be, because he says, you're you're not actually going to hear the voice of mirth. That's like rejoicing. In verse 10, he says, the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bride and the bridegroom, the grinding of the millstone and the lamp, the, the oil for the lamp. These are just like things you would hear that would make you happy, things you would hear that would make you say, oh, everything's working normally. My mom told me that she's got this you know, happy memories of her childhood. She said she would wake up in the morning sometimes and be laying in her bed, and she could hear someone in the kitchen. She could hear like kind of pots dinging a little bit and somebody moving around in the kitchen, and she said, you know, that, that's a happy memory for me because I know that that's, that was my mom in there, and she was fixing breakfast for us. So she said, I loved kind of waking up and and hearing those sort of sounds in the kitchen because she knew I'm going to walk in the kitchen and mom's going to be in there. She's going to hug me. Hey, did you sleep well? I made breakfast. So like the sound of the mill churning, grinding wheat. You know what that would mean for them? The harvest was in. Or walking by and seeing houses with a lamp lit at night in the window. You know what that would mean for them? Ah, the olive harvest was good. We have olive oil for our lamps. These are just, he's saying, these little things that just look around, you can see and hear, and you just know everything's good and right and normal. They're not going to be there. There's going to be this silence. You're not going to hear those happy sounds. You're not going to hear a a young couple happy and giggling, and you're not going to hear the grinding of a millstone. There's not going to be a harvest. There's not going to be people marrying and giving in marriage. You know why? Because they'll be taken off as slaves. 
All these little things that you take for granted that just make you happy just to hear them and see them and feel them. They're all going to be gone, and it's your fault because you have disobeyed clear, persistent, consistent, patient, loving warnings because you've continued to go after the wickedness of your own heart, thinking you know better than I do, thinking you know better than me, the one who made you. And he says, I'm going to raise up this nation to come and invade you. And he says for how long they're going to be there. Verse 11, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. 70 years. Now, why the 70 years? Well, we get more commentary into why the 70 years from the history portions of the Bible. There's all kinds of different portions in the Bible. We have law, we have history, we have poetry, we have prophecy. This is all different kinds of literature, narrative in the Bible. Well, concerning the 70 years, we get more commentary on that, namely from the book of 2 Chronicles, which, by the way, 2 Chronicles is actually the last book of the Bible in the way the Jews used to arrange and still arrange the books of the Bible. Their Old Testament is the same as our Old Testament, yet they put them in a different order. So the very last book in the Jewish Bible is the book of 2 Chronicles. It's the very last portion of history that we get. And in 2 Chronicles 36, 15 through 21, God tells us why the 70 years. Listen to this. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently. What do you know? (laughs) There's our word again. What did he do persistently? He sent to them his messengers. These would be the prophets. Now, this tells us why he sent the messengers. Look at this. This is very important. Look at this. This is very important. He sent his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Why did God continue to send messenger after messenger, person after person with the same message again and again? Because he had compassion on them. He pitied them. He cared for them. Do you see this? This is why God did this. So don't think when you see all these prophets pronouncing, hey, you're sinning. Stop doing that. God, this God's so grumpy. He's just, he sends these people and they're just like, hey, quit sinning, quit sinning. What a grumpy God. No, what a compassionate God to be so patient with them and persistent and consistent. Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets till the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Therefore, he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on the young men or virgins, old man or aged. They came in and they didn't care if you were young or old they came in and they killed people. And God said, turn or it's going to happen. And they said, whatever, we don't care about you. We don't care about your messengers. We think they're a bunch of kooks. We think you're way too old-fashioned and narrow-minded. Stop talking to us. And they killed them. 
And so these horrible, evil people came in. And he gave them all into his hand. Verse 18, And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his princes, and all these he brought to Babylon. Verse 19, And they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire, destroyed all its precious vessels. He took them, took it into Babylon. Those who had escaped with the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Another kingdom came and destroyed the king of Babylon. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, look, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So God commanded that when the people of Israel, who were primarily uh, agrarian culture, did you know that he told them, listen, you can plow and field and do all these, um, I'm not a farmer, tend the land for six years, and then he says that on the seventh year, you have to just let it lie. Don't farm it. Give it a Sabbath day of, a Sabbath year of rest, actually. Don't do anything. Don't worry. You'll have enough. And we don't even have a if I'm not mistaken, we don't have a record of them ever doing that, by the way. And so he says, why 70 years? Because the land didn't get its Sabbaths. And so I'm going to give it its Sabbaths that you didn't give it. That's how serious God was about the Sabbath, this rest, even for the land. You know what it showed, though, that they never gave the seventh year rest? You know what it showed? It showed that they didn't trust God. God says, do this. Listen, it's going it's to be a bit scary, because you're not going to be out there working and tilling the land. You're going to think, oh, are we going to have enough? Are we going to have enough? Trust me, and I'll take care of you. And that's the same message for us when it comes to giving, when it comes to tithing. We think, 10%? Are we going to have enough? Are we going to have enough? And I can tell you, yes, you'll have enough. Okay? See these four kiddos sitting here in the front? They're mine. Yes, they're all ours. Yes, we know what causes it. And guess what? We've always had enough. And so they didn't obey because they didn't trust. And God said, so the land is going to get its Sabbaths. Seventy years, you're going to be gone. That was the commentary from the last book of the Jewish Bible. This is what happened to them. Now, what's interesting is one of the very first books of the Bible we get that this might happen for the people of Israel. Not actually that it might happen, but this was a prophecy hundreds of years before Jeremiah even came on the scene. Look at now Leviticus 26. Look at what God says. This is part of the blessings and cursings section of this chapter. Leviticus 26 says, starts out with, these are, these are all the blessings for obedience. And then he ends with, but these are all the curses for disobedience. This is what will come upon you. Listen, hang with me, guys. I know this is a lot. It's a bit like drinking from a fire hydrant this morning. This is a lot of information all at once. But listen to this. This is so rich and good. Like I told you, this is what happened to them as marked at the end of the Bible. And now this is what's prophesied in one of the, just the third book of the Bible. Leviticus 26, verses 40 through 45. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they 
committed against me and also walking contrary to me so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. This hasn't even happened yet, by the way. It's hundreds of years before the king of Babylon came and did anything. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. This is crazy. This is hundreds of years before any of this even happened. I mean, Jeremiah's parents, 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 parents weren't even born yet. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they're in the land of their enemies, now we know that that's Babylon, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God, but I will, for the sake of, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. And then he ends saying this, I'm the Lord. Meaning, I'm God. I say this, it's true. So he already said hundreds of years before what Jeremiah is even saying, this is about to happen. He's already warned them that this would happen if you disobey me. And it's happening just like he said it would happen. Hundreds of years before. And it's interesting. We say, well, wait a second, Cohen. Wait a second. Hundreds of years before Jeremiah was even born? He already wrote this down? Yes, hundreds of years before. Well, then... How, how, did they, how did they not see it then? How did they fall right into what he said they were going to fall into? And like, why, why weren't they warned by it? You know why they weren't warned by it? Because they kept hearing, you know, the Bible's not that important. You know, you can sort of unhinge yourself from part and part and part of it. Parts of it, of it. They don't read parts of it. So the false prophets kept saying, yeah, what Jeremiah was saying, just trust me, peace, peace. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. You just make sure you keep bringing your offering. Everything's fine, though. I'll tell you anything you want to hear. Just keep showing up and keep bringing your offering and keep making sure you vote me priest number one. I'll tell you whatever you want. Not much has changed, has it? (laughs) Not much has changed. Even though this message was so clear from the beginning of Scripture, the people of Israel still hadn't learned and they hadn't turned. And so I don't want that for us. Which is why we go through books like this, verse by verse, page by page. So let me end with this. So yes, God is a righteous judge, but guess what? That judgment comes after much patience, much persistence, and much time to give you more time to repent. I mean, the fact that you're even in this room this morning, especially those of you in this room who might not be saved yet, the fact that you're in this room and hearing this message, this is another one of God's persistences with you. This is another instance where God's being patient with you. Another instance where God's being compassionate upon you. So don't be like Israel, right? Don't say, yeah, but I'm fine. I'm fine.
all that patience of God, all that persistence of God and time of God just stores up for you more wrath if you continue to spurn it. Did you know that? Either all this patience and persistence of God makes you say, oh, thank you for being patient with me. Thank you for saving me. I do repent. I come to you. I believe. Or for those who get to the end of their life, all this has done is just stored up so much more wrath for you. Because God says, no, 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 no. I was so persistent with you. And I was so patient with you. And I was so compassionate upon you. Look, see this time? Remember that when you were a teenager? Yep. Remember this when you were in your 20s? Remember this when you were in your 30s? Remember this time when I clearly spoke to you and said, wow, that's so crazy. Whoa, what a coincidence. No, that, wasn't, that was me. Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Remember when your friend gave you a Bible? Remember when you heard that sermon that time on the radio when you just were kind of perusing through the channels and you, know, you, you still... Remember all that? It's compassion, patience, grace. Now what's interesting about all this, since the characteristic of man is to have a hard, dismissive heart about these things. The Lord Jesus Christ, lest some of you be thinking, he's not a very good preacher. He hasn't even mentioned Jesus once. We're told in Scripture, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All these judgments that rightly fell upon the people of Israel for their hard and penitent hearts. You know what the Bible says about that wrath? Jesus took it all on behalf of sinners. Jesus took all the wrath of God, all this and more. If you want to hear, just finish reading what I mentioned earlier about Leviticus chapter, what was it, 26? Just read the second half of that chapter. All that and more fell on Christ on behalf of sinners. A man who didn't deserve any of it. The righteous one, he's called. The righteous one. You know what that means? He's right in all that he does. It fell upon him that day in full force. That's why Jesus even said in his humanity, Father, let this cup pass from me. And he was referring to the cup of wrath Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew what was coming. He didn't want to drink that bitter, horrible, wretched cup of the wrath of God coming upon him. But he took it. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends, we're told in Scripture. This is what God did for you. And he died, and he rose again on the third day, proving that the price of sin was paid for, proving that the wrath of God had been absorbed by the Son and proving that Jesus is who he says he is, the mighty Son of God with power, with keys over death and hell, victorious. The Bible says that all who will repent and come to him in faith can receive forgiveness of sins and not be like these people, not experience this wrath, but be forgiven. Receive that compassion. Be thankful for that patience. Be children of God. Because on the last day, we either face the judge guilty with no excuse for our hard hearts, with no excuse for our unwillingness to listen, or 
we face a judge fully forgiven, standing in the righteousness of another one, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ to be the payment that satisfies for sinners. And Father, I pray for any who might not know you this morning that they would come to faith. Lord, for those of us who do know you, thank you for this good warning that we've received this morning. I pray also for those of us who have received this, who are already in the faith, I pray that this would also make us want to pray more fervently for friends, family, loved ones that don't know you. Because we want to know you either. So Father, please give us grace to not walk in obedience to the things that we've learned, heard, things that you've impressed upon our hearts this morning. Give us grace. In Jesus' name.